Hello and welcome to Page Parley. This is the show where we speak to authors or experts on the work we read on scintillating stories. Today we're speaking to Martina Ries Newbery. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? I was born in Upland, California. That's about an hour east of Los Angeles. I'm the daughter of a steelworker, storytelling father, and an extremely gifted artist mother. I currently live in Los Angeles. I am <laughs> LA's slave and her most fervent fan. I love her, and so I often write inside her and about her. I've been married for 34 years. I have beautiful grown kids whom I adore. I love snack foods and champagne and martinis and makeup and perfume animals and scary movies. <laughs> so how long have you been writing? I've been writing all my life, truly, since I learned how to write. But I began taking my writing seriously when I was in my 20s. But I had been reading poetry since I was a child. I read everything, actually. My first inspiration, though, was Robert Louis Stevenson's A Child's Garden of Verses. I didn't even try to publish anything until my 30s, and then it was only submitting to a college publication at the university where I worked. But a little later on, I took a poetry workshop when I was, oh, maybe 35, and the poet who taught it, an amazing poet by the name of Larry Kramer, became my my dear friend, my brother, my mentor, teaching me so much about writing poems. He has since passed, and I have all my notebooks from our meetings, and I refer to them often. I self-published a couple of books, and then I was very fortunately pick it, t- taken up by my current publisher, Deerbrook Editions. Did you reach out to them, or did they reach out to you? And what was what was that like? I reached out to them. Someone bought one of the self-published books and said, you know, you ought to try and submit to some actual publishing places and suggested a couple to me. And Deerbrook Editions was one of them. So I I've sent a book that I had put together called Learning by Rote. And gosh, with the luck of the angels, they took it and they've been taking my books ever since. The publisher is Jeff Haste, and he has a lot of faith in me. So because, as you know, poetry doesn't sell a whole lot. So he's got a lot of faith in me, and I'm very grateful to Deerbrook. Oh, I'm really glad that you have a really good working relationship there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. I feel so lucky. What does your writing process look like? When you sit down to write, what does that look like for you? I have had the same process from day one. I get up fairly early, go to my desk. I read something first. My incredible husband makes coffee for us. But I might read some poetry, maybe nonfiction, maybe fiction, something that has caught my interest. And I read a bit and take some notes, and go to the previous day's writing to look over to re-experience and edit it. And I usually spend an hour or two reading and editing, and then I begin a new poem. I write until afternoon, and then I have lunch, 
I write and edit in a notebook, pen and paper, and then I put it on computer. So for you, is the the writing with pen and paper an important part of it, that, that, fir- that being the first step? It really is. Somehow the words come from my head to my fingers to a pen to the paper. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of residencies in my past, and while they were wonderful, I wrote there, and it was wonderful to be involved in them, the comfort level you're not in your own place. And so I couldn't get absolutely relaxed or comfortable. They were wonderful as far as silence and space and and those sorts of things. But as far as being comfortable, like, I don't know, wanting to sit around in your pajamas or whatever, it, it, it I couldn't get into that. <laughs> what about poetry as a medium really attracted you to it? Poetry always seemed to me to say things so unusually, so interestingly worded. It described life's happenings in ways I hadn't thought of and in ways that really resounded with me. I remember when I first read the poem Patterns by Amy Lowell, I just started, you know, praying to write that well. When I read Robert Burns' A Man's A Man for all that, I was so touched and found that it spoke to me as a working man's daughter. And so I realized that poetry brought words and thoughts to life. Also, I'm super shy and I'm very quiet around most people. I'm a, a bit of a loner, except for my husband's company. But I found that through poetry, I was able to say freely what I thought and felt about things. The blank page doesn't look at my clothes or my wrinkles or the size of my nose. It just is there waiting. So it's freeing for me. Is there a genre of poetry that you prefer? Uh, And if so, why? Well, I am pretty much in love right now with free verse. But some of my favorite poets did beautiful rhyming. And I've learned so much about rhythm and in music from reading their works, W.H. Auden, Robert Frost, Robert Burns, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. But for now, my favorite is contemporary, fairly contemporary free verse. I love Larry Levis, Gary Snyder, Karen Greenbaum Mayam, Michael Arcangelini, and Beth Copeland, Diana Ross, to name a few, Diana Ross, Rosen. For somebody who is completely new to poetry, How would you describe free verse to them? Free verse, for me, means that I don't look for rhyme. I don't look for for rhyming endings on words or rhyming lines. I don't look for that. I'm more, free verse is for me more thinking, thinking the story, thinking what you want to say, and not worrying about line breaks or rhyming. One thing about my writing that I learned from my mentor was I don't write line breaks originally. I usually write out what the poem is about or write the whole entire poem. I'll write that just as a paragraph. And then I'll go back and look at it and say, where are the line breaks in this? Where do I breathe when I read it? So that's free verse for me. Do you hope to inspire emotions or thoughtful responses in your readers when they go through your work? 
Well, both, actually. I like to think that my poems bring some kind of emotion from readers. I want them to feel something. Joy, fear, nervousness, grief, anything. Thoughtful responses are very important to me, even if they're negative. If someone likes what I've written or is touched by it somehow, if if it makes them remember something or bring back a love of someone or something, it's lovely of them to tell me so. If they don't like it, I'd like to know that as well, if they found the poems too unsettling or too dark or not well done. I want to hear it. I think my poetry grows from both kinds of soil. <laughs> that might be why your poetry is so enjoyable to read now as an external reader, because you have taken feedback, both the positive and the negative, and you haven't shied away from it. You've really dug down, like you said, into that soil and produced a really lovely poetic garden from it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What a lovely thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned that you have put together several collections of poetry. So what is the process of putting together a collection of poetry like? I like doing it. I like finding themes or similarities of mood in various It seems like I'm always working on a book. I have a bunch of themed files like love, romance, family, friendships, aging, beauty, dreams, nature. And I have a file marked miscellaneous for poems that make me wonder where I got them. But when I write a poem, while I'm writing it, or just after I've written it, I ask myself, what is this really about? And will the reader get that from it? And as I decide to put together a book, I choose poems from those files based on how they fit together like puzzle pieces to make a whole picture. The closest I experience I would have of that is putting together songs into an album because there's an orchestration to the link between the works. So is that slip between them something that you really focus on? Absolutely. What a lovely perceptive way you put it. <laughs> I like to think sometimes of a book like a sonata, so that you have poems going into it, poems that shake you up a little bit, poems that even that out, and then ending poems. Do you feel like you are a guide to the reader? You are taking them on this journey. And at the end, I often feel that when I finish a book, poetry or prose, in a way, I've sort of had to stop talking to the author, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, exactly. I think the best way to put it is that I like to feel that the reader is in the room with me and that I am able to, I don't know if guide them, but I'm able for them to hear my voice and to relate how their feelings are responding to that voice. So I think it's more a, can you hear me? When you open the book and you look at the poems, can you hear me? And I like to think that, that I'm making the work accessible enough that they can hear me and that they can open themselves to it. From your place of experience and, and your lived experience of writing, 
Do you have any tips for aspiring writers of any age? Read until your eyeballs fall out and then read some more. (laughs) I think readers, authors should read extensively before they begin to write and during their writing times. I think they ought to read everything from poetry to science journals to romance novels to cookbooks. There is a story, a poem, everywhere in the world around us. And there is so much available for us to read and learn from. Another thing is to get in touch with other writers, find out what their process is, what they hope to do. When I had my kids who needed me, I got up before the sun and wrote. Later, I wrote on my lunch hours and at work and coffee breaks and buses and coffee shops. So I would say write anywhere you can, write anywhere that's, that, that you have a space to write and read. Just don't stop reading because absolutely is a foundation for all of your creative juices. I have heard people say things like, well, I don't read because I don't want it to influence my work. Let it influence your work. You you could do worse. (laughs) (laughs) Those influences are, are fabulous, beautiful, creative geniuses who wrote things. Read them. It won't hurt your work. I take a lot of issue with the idea of the solo creative, the the person who draws only from themselves, because not only is that going to produce work that's incredibly insular, and maybe your audience will not be able to relate to, but in addition, that's not the way that humans work. We are a social species in all of our endeavors. Our job is to share our knowledge, share our experience, share our skills. I kind of think of it like throwing things ahead, not just between parents and children, but any people in your life. You kind of go, okay, I got this. I gathered this from my experience. Okay, catch. (laughs) You take it forward (laughs) because I can't keep walking. Yes, that's exactly right. We are social beings. I get so many ideas from conversations that I hear, that I overhear, or that I'm having with someone, it tells me what people respond to. If I'm just in here all by myself and just bringing about me only, it's going to get pretty dull pretty fast. (laughs) I'll have conversation with someone about lost love, like is somebody that they once loved very much and how the thing, you know, and I'll think to myself, that's how people respond to lost love. I thought they responded this way, but they don't always. This person is telling me another way they respond. So when I write something about that, then I've got the insight from somebody else. I can reach out and try to touch that in readers. Mm -hmm. If people would like to hear more from you or, or see more of your work, to purchase my books, folks in your part of the world can find them on Amazon UK. You just look for my name, Martina Reese Newberry. And in the U.S. and Canada, readers can afford order from me directly at martinanewberry.com. There's a bookstore tab on that site. Or from dearbrookeditions.com, my publisher. Also, my email address is martinanewberry at gmail.com. And I can be reached there at any time for chatting or answering questions or taking suggestions. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. And also, 
my husband is a gifted media creative. And for those people who like audio presentations, his can be found at projectwasabi.com. Martina, thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. This has been a genuinely lovely conversation. Oh, Rosie, thank you so very much for asking me. Thank you so much for listening. You can hear more from Martina on her website. I'll leave a link in the description. If you want to stay up to date with the goings-on here at Yorick Radio, then you can follow us on social media, check out our website, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.